masters of science have shown a great light on us all. Tie in me the path of your shadow that offers a wondrous call where promises lead us to ruin. A kiss can drive you to your grave. We leap off the edge of tomorrow and sink to the depths of today. Welcome to Too Stupid to Know I Can't. I'm your host, Roger, and today we get to speak with Mark Meeker, and we're going to take a little bit different twist on our regular podcast. A couple weeks ago, we threw out a hashtag, uh, or as us old people like to say, the pound sign, uh, under Ask Drum Shop Tulsa. And what we wanted to find out were some of the perplexing questions that our listeners and our viewers of our YouTube channel have for drumming and other things. We got a handful of questions, and we're going to start off with just five of them for this episode. I, we tried to keep it at about an hour, but it, as normal with Mark and I, we get to laughing and joking and side discussions and got a little sidetracked. But I think we get to the heart of the questions and answer them as honestly and as professionally as we can while being as frightfully honest as we can. Uh, I want to say that for the record because I think it's very, very important as there's a lot of bad information out there and the proliferation of unqualified information is just rampant. So sit back, let us know what you think of the episode after you hear it, and we hope you enjoy Too Stupid to Know I Can't with Mark Meeker. Dan Aykroyd, Dan Aykroyd was one of the best ever. God, he was so good. So good. Had so many. Like, th like that role for him on early 70s Saturday Night Live. Genius. And, and Jane was also good. Oh, yeah. Like, of they, were, they were the perfect two for that because she was, she looked like a housewife, but wasn't. Yeah. Like, yeah. she just had that kind of mom aura about her. Right, right. And then to just rattle off. <laughs> God, that show was fantastic. It was. Everybody was so good on that show. Everybody. Yeah, it was just stellar. Even Garrett Morris. And, and oh I, man, yeah. And I say that because they underutilized him. Yeah. Like I think there was so much more that he could do. Yeah. But they just kind of were like, ah, you know, we're getting you in there in a few parts. Yeah, yeah. But I still loved it when he was from the what was it the uh, uh, oh, school of deaf people or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a top star for the night. <laughs> a baseball being very, very good to me. <laughs> you know, the unfortunate part is there's going to be a lot of people listening to this particular podcast that have no idea what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. Are you recording this now? Yeah. Oh, excellent. Well, it's just kind of a nice segue. It is a great segue. <laughs> Even though there was nothing that we were segueing from no. into this. And that's okay, too. It was, it was always interesting to me about the Garrett Morris. I always thought he was one of the coolest cats because you didn't see him much. Yeah. So I thought he was super cool. But everybody on there, Chevy and Aykroyd and, God, who else was on there? Bill Murray. Gilda John Radner. Belushi. Gilda Radner. Gilda Radner was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Roseanne, crazy. Roseanne, Dana. Yeah. Bob, blah, blah, blah. And for you listeners of this podcast, may or may not remember in the... Fantastic Decade of the 70s was a show that I worked my tail off to stay up for every night. <laughs> every Saturday when it was on, I tried my best. It was called Saturday Night Live. Did you have trouble staying awake, or did you you had to do, like, extra well, chores? Oh, yeah. Whatever it took. <laughs> yeah, whatever it took. Well, because you had, you had all your regular shows, 
but then you had Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And then, of course, after Saturday Night Live, if you were really able to stay up late, was Doctor Who. Oh, now see, I didn't, that show didn't interest me then. But yeah, the Saturday Night Live, definitely. God, Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And the fact that it was completely live. Yeah, that was absolutely, it was incredible. I mean, I they worked. That. They worked all week to do it live. Yeah, yeah. Screw-ups and all, it was great. Warts and all, it was awesome. The Bassomatic. <laughs> You'll never have bass the same way again. <laughs> and for those of you that have no idea what I'm talking about, you should absolutely take the time to YouTube the Bassomatic with Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> it will change your life and probably make many of you nauseous. <laughs> the Bassomatic. He could do that. He had that voice for, was perfect for all that stuff. Genius. Yes. And then his deal with uh, Steve Martin and the, the brothers. What was that? The, the, ch the boys from the Czech Republic. Do yeah, wild yeah. and crazy guys. Your tight pants give us fantastic bulges. <laughs> okay, we're trying to steer away from that on this episode. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. But no, 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 but it's legit. That, yeah, I mean, that, that, was, that, was, that was, yeah. There was a reason to say that. It wasn't just gratuitous. No. I mean, it was kind of a plug, but it was worth it. Yeah, yeah, it was good. I always remember those sorts of things. On my, on my trip this last week, I somehow morphed on the last day into a Russian um, male prostitute for some reason. And, you know, I'm hanging out with a bunch of, you know, guys, musicians in Nashville, and we're just, we're tired, we're exhausted. And so I turned into, the, and so I was saying some pretty strange things. In my Russian <laughs> male prostitute. Voice. I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to say we're going to save these all for another episode. All right then. Well, no, 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 because I, I am actually very intrigued. <laughs> I knew you would be. A, and I knew. <laughs> a because of the Russian male prostitute. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a very. I mean, it, I think it came off sort of Borat-like, but at the same time, I think it was kind of it cracked the guys up. So, yeah, we we'll talk about it later. Well, we should. All right, fair enough. But Mark Meeker, welcome to another uh, taping. You're you're on a, you're on your second podcast. I'm on of, my second. Yep, I got asked back. Well, that that was that wasn't not going to happen. <laughs> we just kind of had to recover. It was just sort of improbable. Yeah, yeah. So nice, nice to be here. Thank you again for having me. Yeah, no, no, no. The play, for this episode, I couldn't have thought of a better person. Well, thank you. You're a nice guy. Well, no, well, you're just a gearhead like I am, so it kind of worked out. Yeah, we're pretty geeky that way. Yeah. It's good. And in this episode on Too Stupid to Know I Can't, we're going to do something a little bit different and something that I've wanted to do for some time. You know, here at the shop and in the time that I've been selling musical gear, we get asked the most bizarre questions. Hmm. But some of them are really, really good. And some of them actually do carry some merit and do carry some necessity of dealing with. The problem is, and I say this a lot, there is no real resource. There is mm. no one actually doing science, in my opinion, to deal with or discuss and work with drums and drum gear. True, true. I, and, I, and I'm sure somebody wants to. I'm sure there's companies out there that are, oh, well, we've put this in our sound room and we've done this or that. Didn't Evans have Gadsden doing that for a while, Bob Gadsden? Yeah, there was a little bit of that. Yeah. But. Not really like an old, it was spotty. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think the intent was there. I think the execution had 
the results that maybe they were looking for. I'm mm. not saying that I'm not saying that all product companies are really out to prove their theories right. Sure. But there is truly no definitive resource. Like we do not have anything that's theoretically written down in concrete or stone. Mm, sure. There's nobody that has stood up and said suspension mounts for drums suck. <laughs> and illustrated why. Right. Now right. I, I I say that with Let's take a nod to Yamaha's Yes Mount way back when. When they introduced it to the two-bolt system and then suspended the Tom Mount and got it off the shell. That worked. That worked very well. Yeah, that worked. And in case you didn't see, or I may not have showed you, but Indie Drum Lab, mm -hmm. the guy out of Michigan, we just got one of his snare drums in that we're going to feature on a YouTube video oh, coming cool. up. Very cool. Um, he's created a suspension mount that I think actually makes sense all right all it's right. a leaf spring oh that does make sense and it has a two bolt pattern drills right into the dead spot of your shell mm -hmm. and then you can actually slide the tom mount up and down on the leaf spring to adjust the sustain that's kind of brilliant now i will lend him a nod of credit because by trade he is an engineer in his videos he's a nominal drummer Right, sure. That doesn't matter, though. No, it doesn't, but it does give him the ability to look at things from an engineering's, engineer's kind of right, standpoint of and pragmatism to look at things from, from not just a player's side and a feel side, as we all like to use the term feel, <laughs> but he can look at it from an analytical standpoint. Yeah. Um, and again, not to, to kind of lead the witness, but he also does a five-ply shell, which is the first one I've ever heard of. That's interesting. They've been done before. I, I don't remember. I don't remember who. Back in the day, yeah, I heard of a five ply though. Back in back, it's been years, but yeah. But that's. I mean, it's a good idea. I mean, he's going for an ultra, you know, thin, resonant shell. What there? Who was doing a four? Oh well, Dixon does one. Dixon does it, and the artist, and they offer it. There's still four ply shells out there. Okay. okay. And I, I like. I personally like a thinner shell. Yeah. I think there's a lot more body in it. I think yeah. there's a there's a lot more depth of character. Absolutely. Um, I remember Danny Carey did that random kit from a couple years ago. I say a couple years ago. It was probably more than 10 years ago. Hmm. Uh, the 8-inch rack tom, it was probably 2 inches thick. God. Well, he wanted it because it cut. Yeah, that'll cut all right. It'll project. <laughs> yeah. And because he uses A10, 14, 16, well, he did for many years. Now he's got some nine kinds of wacky configuration <laughs> that he's been playing. But the shells, when he had them made from sonar, as the drums got bigger, the shells got thinner. For the enhance the low end and, yeah. So to me, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, that does make sense. So I think there's some technology that's being touched on. But there are a lot of things that I think our industry also bases on the magic word of feel. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It doesn't feel right. Oh, that doesn't feel like this. Okay, what does that actually mean? Like, you can't <laughs> quantify feel. Yeah. It's tactile. Certainly. So, what I want to do is I want to take some of these questions, and for those that haven't submitted their questions yet, you can do so by using the hashtag, or as us older people say, the pound sign. <laughs> and it's, it's really simple. It's, it's pound signed or hashtag 
Ask Drum Shop Tulsa. There you go. So we, we've been checking out on some of our social media, and there's been a couple of questions that we've found. And tonight I actually want to delve into answering some questions from not just me as a player, but also as a shop standpoint, kind of what's our take on it? What's our philosophy? And I'm willing to stand by that and say, this is kind of our dictum and here's maybe why. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that my answers are the right ones, but I'm, I would be remiss in not saying that I don't believe I've got a pretty good freaking handle on things. Yeah, you see a lot of stuff, so. And I put my hands on so much gear. Yeah. Like in, in any given day. Yeah. So I want, I'm, I'm going to speak more from both of those standpoints. And my nod to you also being gearhead, you've had 30 plus years, 40. 40. <laughs> <laughs> it's trying to be nice. No, no, you no. Know, go ahead. You know, 40 plus years of <clears throat> such a variety of gear and a lot of different playing situations, a lot of different kind of applications and you of all people, much like we referenced in, in the other ep- podcast you were on, you know, you've gone through more drumsticks than I think <laughs> I've ever had underwear. <laughs> yeah, it got a little crazy for a while, yeah. yeah. But that's important. Yeah. Because you do pay attention to that, and I don't think enough people do. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, we're going we're gonna to start off with a few questions, and we're going to try and bang this out. Hopefully... We're going to try and get this done in an hour. Yeah. Well, so we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> and, I, and I'm sure it's going to spark a lot of debate and a lot of conversation. Yeah. These are, you know, a lot of this stuff is, especially the, there's one big question there. Yeah. That's a, that's a real debatable uh, fire starter. Well, and I, I want that because I do want to hear from other people. I want to, I want other people's experiences to help us. Yeah. It, it's much like, you know, we get new drumsticks in all the time from different vendors. Hey, give these a whirl. Tell us what you think. It's like, well, I don't have time to play every freaking drumstick. Right, right. Same I have thing. no idea. There's drumsticks we carry. I've never played them in my entire life. <laughs> but I can look at them, and from experience, I can say, well, based on these characteristics, the size, the length, the diameter, the taper, the tip, it's probably going to feel like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I can't play every one. Right, right. So and if that, we can, and that's same here. So if we open up the forum to some of these questions, maybe we can get some extra input. Maybe we can get some other people that are really, maybe have a better grasp or a different grasp on this than we. And it has the potential to lend itself to maybe some better understanding. Absolutely, knowledge is power. God, I miss those. <laughs> Schoolhouse Rock was awesome. Schoolhouse Rock did it, man. Okay, we can't we can't go t- too tangenty. We can't I, get tangenty because we can do it too easily, easily, especially with me around. Okay, so let's get right into question one. Okay, and I think it's it's pretty legit. What exactly is the purpose of snare beds? Ooh, the big one. Starting off with a big gun. And why are they important? All right, there you go. So let's take your stand. Let's see what you have to say. Well. As I was, we were talking earlier, I believe I've always had less technical knowledge of the thing than you have. I think because you see more of these things, you, it's more of your business to know more of the scientific side of these things, the technical side of these things. But I will say this, I've played a lot of snare drums and 
when the snare bed is right, it's it's the the, the drum is sensitive. Uh, you don't get a lot of snare rattle or, or unwanted snare buzz. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you don't have to get the thing the wires so tight that it, you know, knocks the brings the tuning of the bottom head so far out of whack that you get a wonky you know overtone or yeah or something like that the boing the boing and, and sometimes it's so bad that you know you can tighten 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 if it's not if the snare bed is not right and it just doesn't get sensitive or i've played drums that have no snare bed at all with standard you know sort of wiring with standard wires with the either the straps or the cords and I, you can't get the no, there's nothing you can't get there's the wires no help tight enough no. because there's just, no help in that yeah they're just laying out there so and that was pretty awful um, shout out to my boy John Zoo at Dallas Drum. Yeah. In strangely enough, Dallas, Texas. He's got some cool stuff. He's learned some. He when he was learning how to make drums, he learned how to do really, really great snare beds, and that's about the only snare drums I played to this day, since I've gotten uh, started buying drums from him uh, years back. So uh, he learned to really, you know, he, they're they're wide and they're not too deep, but they're deep enough and. There's uh, that kind of thing. It's crazy. I know some of them listening to your Bill Dedimore podcast, and you know, some are really thin, mm -hmm. but deep, mm -hmm. and that's wacky. Um, you have that's something to you know contend with in some ways, and then you know other ones are wider and not so not so um, and more shallow, I should say. So all I can say is, is I when the when a snare band is right, you're ahead of the game. You've got a good thing, and if it's not, you're in trouble. Now, do you think that's also you use the term when the snare bed is right. Do you think that's also shell dependent? The type of shell, the thickness of shell, the material, the bearing edges. It, I mean, it, it, yeah. It, I mean, I think all that. Well, you know. Well, it must be to some degree. It must work that way. You've got to have. It's all that depends on. I mean, you don't. Surely, you don't make the same snare bed for a twenty ply shell as you make for a six ply shell, or eight ply shell. <clears throat> surely, surely. Well, don't call me Shirley, but I, yes, I, I think you're very right in that, I, but I'm not a drum builder, but what I can say is I've seen drum companies find a bearing edge and a snare bed and that's all they cut. Right. And that's not always, and I, that doesn't always work. I don't think it works. Right. And I think in, with respect to your statement, yes, I think every drum should have an appropriate snare bed and bearing edge. Sure. I think it should have the right one for that overall performance and what, and what the designers got in their head. Right. And I think that's also a, a, a big problem and I think a lot of it's trial and error. I don't think a Babinga shell that's, let's just, let's just say it's an eight ply thicker shell. Mm -hmm. I don't know that that eight ply thick shell made out of out of Babinga should have the same one on a four ply maple. Nope, I would I would guess not. Now in theory it could, but I don't think the bearing edges and snare beds would be applicable across the board. Right, right, makes uh, sense. But I'm also probably one of the weird people out where I've learned to detune mm. the tension rods around the snare beds. Mm-hmm. And and that's a really contempt, you know, contemptible point. A lot of people are vehemently against that. Oh, absolutely. A friend of, you know, a particular friend of mine in general, really against that. So, yeah, that's interesting. But I agree with you. I think I learned that from you. Mm -hmm. 
Um, that, I would, yeah, on some, some of my drums, I think it's more um, dramatic effect than on others. Yeah. But it sure is an interesting, yeah, I, I, would, I would do that more than not, well, certainly. So to clarify, and, and maybe bring the, finalize my answer to your, to your statement, I think every snare bed should be different. Period, end of discussion. I think every drum that's using conventional wires, mm -hmm. and by conventional wires, I mean wires that are, that are tuned and adjusted inside of the, the shell diameter of the drum. Mm, right. If we're talking about bridge wires, unequivocally, no snare bed whatsoever, you don't need it. Right. right. And there are a lot of those drums out there. Tama makes them, Pearl made them, Ludwig, Rogers, shit, all the marching snare drums still... All the guts go past the right, outer, out outer, outer diameter of the shell. Right they're, right. they're designed to be that way. There's no snare beds. Right. So I think as long as the designer and, and the people that are really engineering these drums that are really kind of thinking about it and shaping them and, and kind of bringing them to life, as long as they have a clear understanding as to what they want the drum to perform like and sound like, I think we have to pay respect to that. Mm -hmm. Do I think that a snare drum sounds the same for every person? Nah, not really. I think yeah. some people tune like crap. <laughs> I'm not. I, and, yeah, and everybody said, does it different. I said it in my video. I said it in that YouTube video. Straight up, why your snare drum sounds like sh because schnit <laughs> because of some primary things. Yeah. And and to bring that back around to what we were discussing regarding the wrinkling of the of the snare side head. Depending upon the snare bed dictates how much I will detune the tension rods around the snare wires. Right, right. And it, I am totally fine and am happy with wrinkles in that portion of the drum head. I don't think it matters. Right. I've never thought it matters. It drives my OCD nuts, but I agree that sonically it doesn't. It has no bearing yeah, whatsoever. It doesn't matter. But it does reduce unwanted snare buzz. Yeah. In most in most applications, most drums, and I would say, the I mean every drum we put on the floor, yeah, has detuned tension rods around the t around the wires. Yeah, every single drum on our floor. No, it works unequivocally. Um, I think it's a good starting point to achieve that sound. Am I right? I don't know, but I will say that through practice, it's showing. Sounds good, sounds good. That's yeah. what one guy told me a long time ago. If it sounds good, it sounds good. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't care if wrinkles are in my snare side head. Like, I could give two patooties. So, it, may I ask you a question? Mm -hmm. In my experience, I find that that has a more dramatic effect on a 10 lug drum than it does on, say, an 8. Because of the width of span between mm -hmm. when you just have eight lugs on a 14-inch snare, talking about here, there's a lot more distance there. Mm -hmm. and, and that's more distance that snare bed has also. Absolutely. That you can work with. Absolutely. So another thing John Zug does really great. Hi, John. Anyway, so that's an interesting thing. So especially on the 10-lug the drum, that, that um, detuning the lugs either side of the snare snare wires works really really different i mean it makes more of a dramatic effect in my ears oh no i'll it, say that make well and as best said by jeremy berman of q drum the less weight on the shell 
the more it's going to open up. Yeah. So yeah. by using eight lugs on a drum, you're going to get that drum to naturally open up. And yes, I think, and I would agree that by opening up that distance between the lug casings mm -hmm. makes a huge difference on the way that snare side head's going to tune. Right, right. I think it does lend itself to a more flexible <clears throat> snare bed and you can keep the tension a little bit more dialed because you're you're stretching that polyester film over a wider area. Yeah. And in a 10 lug, you've got a lot less space to work with. Yeah, it's true. It and, seems it doesn't seem like it, but it's true. And I and I think that snare bed's dramatically affected as well between an 8 and a 10. Yeah. Yeah. And then that goes back to the overall bearing edge of the shell itself, but again, we start tumbling down that rabbit hole of science. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I know I read a quote somewhere by George Way that talks about the wrinkles in heads and snare beds in general. Like, <laughs> and, and I'm, and I'm going to absolutely misquote one of the best drum builders of our century. Yeah, but you're going to get the idea right. The wrinkles don't matter. Yep. They have no effect on the drum sonically as a continu contiguous instrument. Right. They have everything to do with allowing the wires to sit better on the snare side head. Yeah. Now, I will be the, I, I, I am a staunch supporter of increasing all the tension rod tension on the rods that are perpendicular to the snare wires. And it gets pretty daggum tight. Mm-hmm. But what I feel that does is, is that gives me a much more natural position for the wires to, to better vibrate and resonate and to allow that snare to come to life. Am I creating an arc? Maybe. Mm. I mean, there's going to be some natural bowing that's going yeah. to occur in that polyester film, but I think it's more advantageous. Uh, I also find that when there's wrinkles in the snare side head and the bearing in, in the snare beds... I find that the butt plates of the wires sink better into place, giving me better contact to the snare wires. Yeah, that's true. Now, of course, when we're talking about 16, 20, 24, 30, 42 mm. strand wires, we're going to need wider snare beds to accommodate those larger wires because there's right. just not going to be enough movement. Mm -hmm. and, and we could fall down that rabbit hole for hours. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, I, I wrinkles in my head, don't care. Yeah, I, I've, I've never... I think I had an old Rogers drum once that wrinkled up in the bearing edges, but that was about it. I've never had one that really uh, did that. But yeah, I mean, it doesn't, you're right. It doesn't affect it sonically. That head's job is so completely different from all the others. Different than any other head that you ever deal with on any other drum. Uh, so it doesn't really, it's a totally different um, respect to the, to the drum's performance. So. And for the record, let's just clarify this right now. All right. An ambassador <clears throat> thick 10 mil head or an Evans G1 or Aquarian's version. Mm -hmm. Classic clear. Are Whichever. not snare side heads. No. 10 mil is too much. They are never snare side heads. Correct. Not, not, I mean, in a pinch, if you're on a gig and you got to save your snare for the night. Yeah, that's one thing. But emergencies withstanding, notwithstanding, that's a yeah. No, no. Two mil, three mil, five mil. That's it. That conversation is over beyond that. Mm -hmm. 
Isn't the old uh, Emperor of Snare side only a five? Mm -hmm. That's what I thought. That's the old Bonzo. Mm -hmm. I just can't. It, I have a, a real lot. yeah. I've even with fives, I've got a hard time with them. They're just too. <laughs> they're too much of too much. Yeah. I think I think the three mil is the most ideal for. 90% of the snare drums yeah. out there. Agreed. If we're talking orchestral, if we're talking something very specific, then then yes. Yeah. L let's get that two mil, that two, that thin, thin, just... Well, that's thin, man. It really is. It doesn't, doesn't seem like one mil makes a difference, but it really does. <laughs> you know what I want to say. You know yes, but don't. <laughs> Again, we're going to save that for another podcast. You know what blows me away, speaking of that, of the thinness of the the snare side head can you believe some of these guys back in the day like well, I'm talking about Jim Keltner not known for being the hardest hitter by any stretch out there that guy used to blow out snare side heads on recordings I mean that's a thin head well it also I used to use well I think it also is more susceptible to damage that way too yeah I mean just amazing to me that that that's a, I, I don't think that's ever happened to me I've done it once. Did it on a gig. What was happening when it happened? Was the uh, weather weird? Was it really humid or really dry? I would probably bet it was me. All right. You know, it was probably on there way too long. Hmm. And yeah, I, I just it. wasted it. Yeah. And then just all it took was the right hit. I probably dented it somewhere. I jammed a fingernail in it or some, something stupid. I mean, yeah. they're such a delicate head but are <clears throat> able to be tensioned so tightly. Right, right. I, I think it's it's much like an aluminum can. You can almost stand on a standard aluminum soda can. Mm -hmm. The slightest imperfection in the can, the can buckles. That's true. And also for people listening who don't understand exactly what we're talking about, that, that snare side hit is so thin. He's right. You can push your fingernail into it without much effort mm -hmm. and, and dent it. Easily. Easily. If and not go possibly, through it. Possibly go through it, right. I Quite mean, easily. a thin head to get that kind of sensitive response out of the wires on the snare head. So through all of this, we've come to the conclusion that snare beds are necessary. Absolutely. In every single drum where the, the where the wires are adjusted on the inside diameter of the shell. Correct. So conventional snare wires, conventional snare drums. Right. But snare beds are not necessary on bridge type snare drums. Drums where the, the butt plates extend to the outside diameter of the shell, in some cases even beyond. I've seen them mm -hmm. way out in space. Yeah, some of those super sensitive drums. Yeah, like I've got a set of premier wires right here. Their damn things are almost 17 inches long. Wow. On a 14-inch drum, I'm like, what the hell? But I think they had like landing gear for a throw-off or something ridiculous. Oh, yeah, you had to have like a special Stu case for that thing. Yeah, stupid. Yeah. But hey, again. So 99.5%. Of snare drums out there, probably. <laughs> I would say, uh, let's just go with 90% of the drums. Okay, 90%. Because there's a lot of metal drums, and there's a lot of different types of drums, but yeah. I would say 90% of the wooden drum shells need bearing edges. Yeah, absolutely. And that just solves that problem. Yeah, yeah. What's really funny is to see the, our, you know, the beloved Ludwig Superphonics and those rolled over edges they did. And the bearing edges those things did were just, I mean... God-awful. Woo! That's a lot of guesswork in there, but somehow... Somebody had a hammer. Yeah. That looks good. Yeah, not that far. <laughs> but boy, it, I mean, you got some that were great, and you got some that weren't so great. It's but like... That's, that was the way it was. It's like choosing a symbol. Yeah. 
But this does really lend itself into the next question. Bum, bum, bum. Which is, and, and this is a question that is also hotly contested, even though it shouldn't be. Ooh, I'm not going to look. I don't know which one it is. Oh. I'm ready. So, the, so question number two <laughs> hotly is... Hotly contested. Snare wires, and should they be replaced? Or, more to the point, when should they replaced? Right. be replaced? Right. Jeez. Okay. Me first? Sure. You first? I mean, I'll go. Go ahead. You let me go first last time. Obviously, snare wires need to be replaced once you've already broken your first strand. Yeah, that's obvious. Yeah. We're going to go with obvious on that's, that that's one. That's a good one, Captain O. Yeah. Uh, they've been grossly deformed. Yeah. I think rusty. Those are the, rusty. <laughs> I think those are kind of some of the immediacy. Mm-hmm. But I think snare wires should be replaced dependent upon how that drummer has cared for his or her snare drum. Absolutely. And I will explain it thusly. It is not uncommon for a drummer to call me on the phone and say, Hey, Roger, my snare drum has a very strange sound in it. <laughs> my first response is, loosen the freaking snare wires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Invariably, there's the argument. Yep. So, I'm... Loosen the wires first and foremost. If they have an hourglass shape, it is time to replace them. For sure. And that's because you've had the snare wires too freaking tight on your for drum for way too long. Yeah. Ditch them. Yeah. And another one that I love is when I pull snare wires off and they're completely twisted up. Oh, man. Like, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how that happens. I don't know how that happens. <laughs> Physically, I can't figure that one out. That's my take on. I oh, know you're right. You're right. You know, and I, you know, and you you kind of you, you showed me some light on this one too about running my the tension of my wires a little less. Mm -hmm. um, and I've had you know a lot better luck with that. It's just it's it's just the case. And it, it also depending if you have a really really high quality wire, mm -hmm. um, of course you know pure sound. Um, yeah, but you like the Canopus, or like is it Canopus? Is it Canopus or Canopus? They're Japanese. I don't know what... I think they're really good wires. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to say it. Yeah. I've heard it said both ways. I don't know. Um, I mean, we're technically a Canopus retailer, but right. buying from them is like this yeah. kind of secret handshake. you got to put an X on the mailbox when you put the money... <laughs> you have to be a Freemason, don't you? That's crazy. <laughs> I'm like, why all this effort? What the hell's going yeah, on? Yeah, that's crazy. Those, But to me, I mean... And for some reason, one of the things that, that the one of the points of of uh, marketing of those wires was they were designed to operate, you know, perform really well under looser tensions, mm -hmm. much less tension than normal. And that's been true for me. I mean, I don't have to; those things just they get real sensitive pretty quickly. They just cinch right up on the head. Um, it's, I've had really good luck with them. So for me. Run them a little much. You know, I used to crank them up too when I was young and had you know a couple of Supras like we were talking about. I used to crank those bad boys up, and you know, <laughs> just like you know, hitting a Chihuahua with a baseball bat. Easy. Yeah. We are a pet-friendly household That's true. here. I love pets. I love dogs. But anyway, it just was really, it's really, it's really awful. That's an awful sound. So yeah, back them off. Let them rattle a little bit. Well. Yes. 
Nothing wrong with a little sizzle out there. You can't hear it past the guitar amps anyway. No, no, no. But we're about to really delve into a... We cannot continue this part of the conversation. We've got to stick to the topic because I'm, okay. about, I'm about to... We're about to rail some drummers, but we're going to stop right now. Woo! Okay, then. You know, this weekend, can I say... Please. I, I played in Nashville at a club and with Michaela Lane at Michaela Lane Music Instagram. Anyway, it was great. Wow, really? The kid that was brought a, that. That was a quick plug. That was well done. The kid, thank you. I'm getting better <laughs> at this. I've been watching you do this. I, the, uh, Michaela really brought the house down a few times. That's awesome. I was shocked. That's awesome. And then whenever I heard she's 14, they just fall apart. You know, she's so good. Uh, ben did great. We had a good time, but I had never played in what you might call a quote-unquote club that size that they even gave a crap about micing the, the snare side head. Yep. But by golly, they did. Really? They had a little combo mic stand there, 57 on top, 57 on the bottom. There it is. And uh, boy, I could hear those wires really good in my ears. And that was nice. You could really hear that little sizzle in the end of them. Which is what you want yeah, the snare to want. do. That's what it cuts. That's what makes it cut. That's and, uh, the purpose. Yeah, that's the idea. So I was really, really happy. And those are what those Canopus vintage dries. You know, a little bit tighter than normal because of the big eight inch deep drum that's mm -hmm. only eight ply. Dallas drum, snare drum, by the way. And, uh, you know, only eight lugs. So it's totally designed to be nice and gushy, you know, as you call oh, it. So you mean you chose the correct tool for the job? Guilty. I did. Okay. I did do that. Now this will... I did mean to do that. Okay, good. Now this does bring us to a really important point. All right. Stop, drummers. <laughs> if you remember nothing from this podcast, if you remember nothing from this particular episode, stop buying an 8-inch deep drum and tuning it like a freaking piccolo. Yeah. Buy the right drum. Yep. Buy the right drum. Buy the right shell material. Buy the right hoops. Choose the right tool for the job. Yep. Jesus Christ on a crutch. <laughs> it's not his fault. Well, he's also never been on crutches as far as I remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's kind of, okay. Yeah, I mean, right. there, he was on some things, but crutches yeah, were not no, one of them. I don't think so. But that's one of the fastest way to ruin gear. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You can't take it Misuse, yeah. abuse, and trying to get things to do something that they weren't supposed to do. Now, that's also the mother of all invention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but what we're talking about... An instrument. Knowledge, an instrument. And the knowledge is here now. Knowledge is out there. It's everywhere. And, and, and technology and, and uh, the, you know, 22nd or whatever century this is has brought us a variety of products from a variety of manufacturers. You don't have, you know, you're not like one of the old guys that only had, say, a Supra or a little, you know, 6x14 Radio King or something out there on a gig. You know, well, I've got to crank it up because of this, that, and the other or whatever, and the calf heads or this, that, and the other are messed up. Or my singer can't hear it yep. or something, or the guitar is killing me, i got to crank it up. That, that, so they're, or, or lower a skinnier drum down, mm -hmm. a thinner, a shallower drum, put it on the ground tonally. So Which just... you don't have to do that anymore. And it's okay to have, and my take on it is, as I'm sure you'll agree, 
you know, well, this might be getting into one of the other questions. Yeah. Kicks and toms are kicks and toms, but the snare is the most important voice of personality and the immediate thing you can tell is different on a kit. So, well, it's in every song. It's in every song, but it's, you know, you, you know, this song recorded with four different snare drum is going to is going to have four different personalities. Absolutely. Even if everything else is the same. Well, and your kit sound changes also. Your kit sound changes. Everything changes with just that one drum, so It's an integral part. But yeah. you you know, you coined the you also coined the phrase a bunch of years ago, if you can't do it on 3, you can't do it on any of them. Yeah. yeah. But again, this gives us the opportunity to diverge, but circling back to the importance of taking care of your snare wires. Yeah. Wow, is that what we were talking about? Yeah, see? <laughs> but circling back, it's also critical for drummers to remember. Snare drums are supposed to buzz. They are supposed to have snare rattle. Yeah. That is the natural reverb of the drum kit. Yeah. So, so drummers, stop trying to dumb your drum down at the microphone. Stop yeah. it. Yeah. Just because you hear the snare buzz at your drum doesn't mean anybody else hears it. Right. And it's less that the sound guy that has no idea what the hell your drum is supposed to sound like anyway is going to go back and add extra reverb, no longer sounding like the drum you purchased. <laughs> right. Right. So not only buy the right drum, use it in the correct application. Yep. Let the drum sing. Yep. And... Let's all be happy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So replace your wires. Replace your wires. You know, the old, uh, one of the Evans uh, vids I saw, marketing vids one time, said every, you know, if you're playing three nights a week, normal sort of bar gig, four hours, you know, so three two long sets, hours, yeah. um, you know, every two, three months, change those wires. And if you're doing a lot of outdoor work, you just got to do it more often than that. Absolutely. If you're like a whole summer outside, they're you know, wrecked. They're wrecked. You need to change the things in the fall when you start playing inside more. That's just at least, if not in the middle of the summer, you know, and then going through two sets of wires on the same drum, if you're outdoors every week like you are, just about. It's, you go through gear. Yeah. It's the cost of doing business. Yeah, the, you got to do it. The and they're more, not, most, on, most, on most things, what is it, 20 to 30, bu 30 bucks? They're 20 bucks, 30 bucks. Yeah. I mean, 30 bucks if you really spend some money. Yeah. I think those Canopus wires I buy are 36 or 7. Yeah. But they're also coming across the water from Japan. Yeah, yeah. And that's a big difference. Big difference. You know, Pure Sound, I think Pure Sound makes fantastic wires. They do. They're the, the primary wire that we carry. We do carry a couple Gibraltar replacement ones. Mm -hmm. But by and large, when people are looking at the $10 Gibraltar wire to spend another 10 or $12 and get better wires and get a better sound out of their kit yep. and their snare, it's, it's a no-brainer. So we don't focus a lot on those. Yes, we're listed as a cannabis dealer, and we'll eventually get some wires. It's just... Hey, you know, things are a mess right now. Uh, Tariffing and everything. Well, but just... Even before that, it was rough. Yeah, just buying. Like, yeah. we got it... Literally, we, we literally had to... Yeah, anyway. Yeah, crazy stuff. But, yes, replace your wires. Let, let the wires buzz. Let them move. Yeah. The drum will be happier, and you'll have such a yeah. much better sound out of the drum. Yeah, even if you don't damp it at all. And I'm not a fan of... Of zero dampening as a rule. Dampening? Dampening. What did damping. I say? Damping. 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 Stuff. Damping. Damping. As I'm, well as Davis said, how about control? Control, yeah. So I like a little bit 
I don't like a lot, mm -hmm. but I like to get the drum really, really, really as in tune as I can to the place I want it, and then just a hair. You just, just take it off to where just that little bit, and that, and that goes to different things. I know that you and I differ a little bit there. You like mm -hmm. them to be a little more open than I do, and that's okay. It's perfectly, perfectly great. But if you're going to go with little to, to no uh, extra damping mm -hmm. at all of the head, or of your drum, that that really, then really you have to back those wires off, or you're gonna get a really wonky, mm -hmm. crazy out there overtone, but if you back them off, get that little bit of extra sizzle on the bo bottom of them, it really helps just let the drum sit really nice. Like for this gig, this country gig I've been doing with that big eight inch drum, that's been, you know, I've had to have those a little tighter and just a little more damping on there, but still, it's just, get that little sizzle off there and it's just perfect so well, it gives you the right sound yeah it's the right job right i tried another snare for that gig and it was just a a bear you're like nope so that's been the you know a ply, a six a six inch deep ply drum was just just never was right i played two gigs where they just wasn't right so i went back to the fat boy which change your wires <laughs> change your damn wires and as a nod to davis from dudario who we just featured on our last that's podcast right, that's right Remember to change your resonant drum heads often. Yeah, it's important. But again, that goes into a whole other set of... All yeah. right. But this does segue nicely into the next question. So question number three, is the difference in sound the drum kits used or the production setup for the live sound? So clarify me this, the first half of that question. Yeah, I read it funky too. What are we, where are we there? I think what are it's asking... talking about a recording? Well, I'm going to go with irrelevant. And, 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 <laughs> may, and let, me, let me answer it this way. Let me All answer right. your... Or let me give the question in a different light. All right. Is it the drum kit? Or is it all the sorcery that goes into miking a kit for recording or for live or for unmiked situations? Mm. Is it just the drum kit or is it all the things Whew. that help create that sound this would be a great question for kenny sherrits he's a drum tech pro drum tech he's mm. on youtube a lot he would have interesting input to this i have an easy one because he works his tail off but go ahead it's easy yeah yes 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 yeah. yes it's all that stuff it's everything yeah yeah what is the shell material? How many lug casings? What's the bearing edge? What hoops? What heads? What's the tuning? What position? What drummer? What, what drummer? <laughs> Holy crap, you know? Which live sound engineer that day? That you day, know, where depends. is it in the room? Where is it in the room? What is kind a, of room is it? Is, is it, it a the big Hollywood one? Bowl? Is it the Forum? Is it, a, is it a stairwell in a tall building? <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. It's so, so the, again, going back to the question, is it the, is it the difference in, and maybe they're also maybe the question also pertains to maybe the materials right so is it you know is it the difference in the materials that the drum kits are made of or is it the production setup that all makes these drum sounds and it, it it's unequivocally yes it's yeah, everything it's, it's so much there's so much to that because you'll see guys recording you can see pictures on Instagram and YouTube all day long with and Facebook or whatever with drummers in recording studios in Nashville, LA, and New York. They're all using a variety, of, you know, Sonar Vintage drums or stuff they don't even have. Yeah, Everything, um, you know, Pearl, 
st standard maple drums, the pearl, you know, drums or stuff like it's just it's moving bl moving blankets with chairs. Yeah, eighty million different snare drums. Everything. The cymbals are so different. Heads are different on everything. Even just, just the everything. placement within the room. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's so many, and it's really a lot of the things that we can't even see. Yep. I mean, I can't tell you the last time I was in a situation where a sound engineer just let me put my drums up mm -hmm. and said, how do you want them to sound? Because I, I hate, I, for the record, I hate being in the studio. It is the <laughs> last place I want to be. Because and I love being in there. <laughs> but I don't like it, but in defense, I don't like it because there are too many egos that are not checked at the door. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want, I don't need the band there. Right. I need a guitar scratch track, a bass scratch track, and a vocal scratch track. Yeah. Just let me focus on making my drums sound good. Let me do my couple of three takes, and I am out of there. Yeah. Give me an engineer, a candle. Let me the <laughs> hell out of the room as quick as possible. Right, right. And I don't like punching in. I'm yeah, not, I I'm I not a that. fan. Single takes all the way through for drums. Yeah. There's, there's something that's going on in the room. Absolutely. When drums are being played and cymbals are moving, that to punch in sterile and cold and get that in there, I just... Yeah. Has never sat well with me. Unless you've got like some like a four, six, eight bar break in the tune there, you can punch that. Because at that point... Yeah, maybe. All those things have kind of gone away to a degree. It depends. Yeah, it depends. It just depends on the situation and what you're going for, you know, and how much they're going to, if it's a pop gig, it's probably going to take on a lot of processing in the end yeah. before it gets out the back door. So, Which we didn't even mention, processing and mastering. Yeah, there's a whole ton of that. I mean, if you've got like a, you know, straight up like punk type record from the 70s do black, do black, do black, do black. yeah or like something like just real gritty like the you know like the um, oh it's getting away from me at the moment but we, you know, I, you, we, I think we kind of get the idea yeah that, that, if you're going for that type of performance that type of sound there's you know there's it's a one that's one thing if you're going for you know a Michael Buble or that type of like super tight you know Everything's sort of on, on the compression. On the yeah, everything like that on those sorts of pop records like that. Then yeah, that's a different whole different vibe. All of it. Yeah, everything. And it's who's everything. your engineer? How's he feeling that day? Did he get into and a what fight? What producer did you hire? Oh god. And what does he want? And what's his take on the whole deal? Did anybody have a fight with their significant others on their way in? What's rattling around in their brain? Right. Exactly. How many hours have they been working the night before? Right. What's the humidity in the room? Which. This is all a little di all these. I get a little bit crazy when I talk about that kind of stuff, but it's true. Well, it just depends. I mean, some, there's that point there where the drums just sound perfect with a certain humidity level. If it's a little too thick mm -hmm. and the room isn't really climate uh, controlled well, there can be a difference there. And I'm a big fan of wood drums being in a warm room. Yeah, absolutely. A little bit on the warm side. Like I'm a big fan. So when I do when I do tech work for people that are recording, mm -hmm. I record every piece of data down that I can. That's cool. Every bit of it. Yeah. Where that you know, if I can get super analytical, I'm measuring the distance from the wall, the position. I'm taking pictures. That's What's cool. the tuning of the batter side resonant head? What kind of condition are these new heads? They sort of used. Mm -hmm. Like I try to get into it as far as I can, just in case we've got to go back. Go, hey man, I got to go back. Right, right. I can go, well, hot damn, I've got all the information. Here's the biscuits, baby. Let's make this work. <laughs>
No more exactly. rubber baby buggy bumper get biscuits. <laughs> so yes, everything about it, everything from the process, everything about the drums, everything about everything makes a difference in the way those drums sound. Yeah. Live or recorded. Live or recorded, anyway. Also, I have another experience from this weekend. Okay. This was a weekend of interesting experiences. I'm, I'm out. I'm. So we're playing this big, big club on Broadway in Nashville. Ooh. There's money. Ooh. You know, there's money to take. I mean, Ooh. you look up. There's line array. You know. What? TA. What? It's a big dude. It's a bad thing. We're sitting on the stage. I'll show you the pictures. We're sitting on the stage. I'll try to make it as visual as possible for the ears. But when we're on the stage, right behind us is a big LED wall with. My girl's promo picture. My oh, nice. promo picture back there with her name big. I mean, it's, and dude, it's as, it's as, wide as, as wide as a stage. It's 30 feet, maybe 25. Anyway, by probably At least that eight, or more. Yeah. Eight, because on top of that, there's another huge LED screen that's videoing the whole deal. So from the third level of the club, because it's three open, three open levels, it's a big place, dude. Where the hell were you? I, I, I don't know if I should say because I'm going to say something not absolutely glowing about the drum kit there. Yeah, but you just gave it away by saying it's a three-story club. But there's five and six-story clubs there. Okay, good. So move on. Anyway, so... <laughs> so you're not playing your gear, only your snare drum. Yeah, my snare, my cymbals, my kick pedal. And you know, I'm a big boy. Oh, God. Take my seat with me. Yeah. So anyway, um, we, did have, we were able to run ears. Oh yeah, and I was able to delve in and get a click and have the ear. Nice. nice. They they hooked us up pretty good there. But anyway, so and like I said, another LED video screen while we're playing, so that everyone sees LED. You know, line array, gear, big bad. They've spent a ton of money here, and they have. Oh, there's a Fender Twin either side of the stage, brand new. There's a couple of there's a Trace Elliott bass amp on one side. There's an Ampeg on the other. There's a Nord keyboard there with its own uh, Roland amp. Um, lots of money has been spent on gear. There's a Yamaha kit there. It's an old oak custom, 22 by 18 or 17, whatever they 17 made. and a half, turbo size. Thank you, sir. <laughs> turbo <laughs> size. Turbo. Anywho's. Which I still have yet to understand. Right, so 16 by 16 floor maybe? Yeah. Uh, I think the rack was a 12. So are you talking of a Japanese-built Oak Custom? What color? It was like the, the, the mocha-looking. Like, not, not super... You mean the honey amber one? Honey amber, yeah. Okay, so... Dude, yeah, it was yeah. so dusty. That's another thing. It was so dusty. Okay, so that was a, a sockeye-built okay, Oak Custom. Yeah, yeah, So this is... This is so, yes, yeah, 16 by... So... 1615? Uh, 1615. Okay, so anyway. Get on this thing. And for, for one thing, the heads, they were clear ambassadors on the top of the toms. The kick head was fine. It was a P3 with a big patch, no big dents in it or anything like that. Kick drum sounded great. Felt great to play. That's, yeah. Kick snare high hat. Duplet, duplet, right. duplet. The toms had clear ambassadors that I am not kidding you. Were bowled out. I have never seen damage to heads like that on a kit still being used. It was an atrocity for a gearhead, for an OCD gearhead like me. An atrocity. Is, yeah, it's an atrocity. It's like how can you? I mean, so anyway. Well, they spent all their money on the amps. They, they forgot sure to say spend the extra twenty bucks Heck, on drum heads each. Right, and so um, the other thing about this kit that was 
completely messed up because it had the, the two-point yes system on it from back in the day. Those things were so loose, brother. The floor, the floor tom would just go raga 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 back and forth. I could just rock that thing. Those mounts were just bow, just barely on there. I'm surprised the nuts hadn't come off inside and were rattling around on the on the rezo head. Anyway, I hit the floor tom. And then <laughs> the rack tom, I got okay for a little bit, but it would go bad so quick. I was I was tuning it back up a couple of Every times song. during the show. Yeah. Anyway. That all being said, a guy out front that I'd met who has a relatively good pedigree with music, musicians in his family and knows, sees a lot of live music himself of different genres, says, good God, man, those drums sound incredible out here. And for even, even someone I would take as a lesser knowledge person, I would say that's astounding review. But someone that actually knows what these things are kind of, you know, mostly supposed to sound like. I was shocked at how, how, and they, I, listening to other acts there, those two days, they, they didn't sound as horrible as they sure did on stage. <laughs> the magic of a good the mixing magic. station. Yeah. And a good front of house good guy. Good ears, good gear. Yep. So there you have it. There, all that to say, it's everything. It's every. I'll recount one very quick, funny story. So I moved here from, from Memphis following Hurricane Katrina. The bar that my band probably had some of their most successful shows there, mm -hmm. a bar called Newbies. Okay. It's down in Midtown. Great bar. Owner's a killer guy. Hmm. There's the bar side, the sports bar side, but was connected to this theater where they did all their live shows. And it was an old theater. Okay. Like legit, full-blown theater stage, theater curtain still up there, and you know, slight sloping. That's awesome. Well, New Year's Eve there, they were having a Kiss tribute band. <laughs> at the time, I was working for Rockstar Energy Drink, and our band was, you know, the band that we were in at the time was doing really, really well. We weren't playing New Year's Eve, thankfully. We didn't want to. Right. But the reason we were, some of us happened to be at Newbies, was because of this Kiss tribute band. Cool. So I was down there hanging out, and they were coming in, and I'm sitting at the bar talking to the owner, and the, quote, leader of the band, mm -hmm. couldn't tell who it was without their makeup, <laughs> proceeds, to Show business. Yeah, proceeds to ask where his hotel room is. <laughs> and, and I'm going to, all this is going to all make sense in a little bit. I'm sure. The owner said, well, we didn't negotiate a hotel room for you. He's like, oh, it's in our right. He's like, mm, No. No, it's not. <laughs> He's like, well, what are we going to do? We don't have a place to stay, and it's New Year's Eve. The owner's like, that's not my fault. Yeah, should have thought that, about that. That's not my responsibility. Right, right. I can make a couple phone calls, but this is your deal. Right. He was paying them a metric crap ton of money, <laughs> and they traveled from point beyond. Mm-hmm. So my question was, as I'm sitting there listening to this conversation, completely aghast at this point, <laughs> whether you were, whether you had a hotel room or not, why didn't you prepare for it if you're a professional band that's doing a tribute? Right. Why didn't you nail that down before you got in your car mm -hmm. 
and why are you waiting for the last minute? Yeah. Now, I say that as the preface because I went over to the theater side to watch Loden and listen to Soundcheck because I'm thinking, man, if newbies hired him, they, they better be pretty dang good at what they do. Good, yeah. The sound guy had a fantastic sense of humor. I loved the dude. <laughs> and he was always kind enough to really let me dictate how I want my drums sounding in the room. That's cool. And, and that's, that's great when that relationship exists. Exactly. And thank heaven for sound guys that really pay attention to yeah. what the musicians are trying to, or how they're trying to communicate Come with across. their audience. Right, exactly. So I'm watching this band load in. The drummer has no cases. <laughs> God. And why that's important is because as I'm watching him cart his drum set in, in his hands with no dolly and no cases. I look at the batter heads as they're coming in. They are completely bowled out. Ugh. I mean, they are- Explain bowled out. Okay, people. so beat up that you could literally eat cereal in the middle of the drum head. Yeah, it's bad. I mean, horrible. Yeah. And I'm thinking, surely you're gonna put some new drum heads on this kit when you get up to the stick. Nope, not <laughs> one bit. And I will, I will end this story on a very funny note, but a very unfortunate one. Mm. So I'm continuing to watch them get all set up and they're starting to go through the sound check. I go next door and I have another couple whiskeys because they're still not ready. And they go on <laughs> in just a few hours. So I'm just like, you guys are wasting a lot of time. Yeah, yeah. So I walk back over with, with my, my fantastic Jameson. Mm. <laughs> and the drummer's doing sound check. And I'm watching all this, and I'm like, my, the sound guy is doing his damnedest to make these things sound representative of a drum kit. Right. He's got the shaman. Oh, he's the, sacrificing the chickens. Yeah, yeah, he's swinging that little thing <laughs> that the Catholic... Yeah, I mean... Lots it, of... Lots of uh, incense and myrtle. Yeah, yeah. God, I just... <laughs> and, and I'm just blown away. I'm, I'm blown away by the fact that this is actually going down with a professional drummer yeah yeah More all of a sudden than we think all of a sudden the drummer just stops stops what he's doing he's like oh now the band's all on a rust now i'm curious as to where this is gonna yeah, go yeah this just got interesting now this should be fun <laughs> so he gets his talk back mic and he goes across the pa he's like hey man can you open up the compression on my drums i really like to hear them things sing yeah I don't want to hear what those sound like with no compression on. <laughs> I'm holding my finger in the air to 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 initiate a pause. The sound man talks back into the microphone and says, and I quote, "There is no compression on your drum set." My immediate response to my friend was, they are wide open on the suck. <laughs> You've entered the ass zone. <laughs> Those, I, I would have had to have been day drinking from the day before to have been okay with A, playing those drums, and B, staying there long enough to hear them. Jeez. 
So needless to say, we didn't see all of the Kiss Tribute Band. We were all over town that night, and we ended up making our way back, and I felt bad for the drummer, because there was a point where they probably really needed to make this money to cover some bills and to make some other things happen in their lives, which is probably a fair statement. Yeah. I'm there. I've been there. We've all been there as musicians. Sure. Yeah. Wouldn't be the first time. But we're watching, I think we got there maybe the last three, four, five songs. And they're on that big car crash ending, just big swinging and the lights are going and the mirror guitar and the <laughs> makeup's running because it's been on way too long. Yeah. His boom arm snaps in half. Simba just, ka 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 I'm like, <laughs> that's your really expensive Kiss tribute band right there. Yeah, yeah. Take care of your gear, you guys. If you want to be considered a professional, be a professional. So much happens that, you know, the pro attitude and taking care of your gear like a pro doesn't have to be super expensive gear. No! Just has to be well taken care of and sound the best possible, sound as possibly its best as possible. I can't talk. Good night. <laughs> Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> which, which does actually lead us into question five. I'm Yay. Gonna, I, I'm going to skip over question four. Because I think it'll be a good one to end on. Okay. But we're going to skip ahead to question five since we're talking about gear and being pro. Gotcha. The question is, do beginners really need a pro-level drum kit? All right. Good question. You're looking at me like you want me to answer it. I don't know. Do you want to tackle the first part? Sure. Okay. Um, my opinion is, having, some, having had kids and bought cars... I wouldn't dare buy a sixteen, a fresh, a new driver, a forty thousand dollar car. Okay. So, I don't know. You know, something nice, something. I think something respectful and respectable. You don't want to feel like they're playing trash. Okay. But so you want you want to feel like they're playing something good. But uh, for me, uh, I, I wouldn't. I would. I would say no. It's not necessary. Not not an absolute necessity. No. I feel as though I may have set you up for failure on that answer. But that's okay. Because maybe we should have established what maybe a pro-level kit might be considered. Okay, good. And, and, and let's kind of get a little bit granular with that, and let's nail it down to, instead of the idea of a, quote, drum kit, mm -hmm. let's just talk about the shells. All right. So, for example, the, the way that we like to classify it here is there are shell packs, there are snare drums, there are component drums... And then there are complete kits, i.e. they come with cymbals, they come with hardware, they come with a throne, they come with all, all the accoutrement. Walk out and play. Yep. Yeah. Walk out and play. So for us here at the drum shop, our least expensive acoustic drum kit complete is seven twenty nine. Now all there right. are a lot of affordable drum kits out there. I've seen them as low as $249 complete for an adult size kit. Mm. That's a yeah. I'm going to use a statement that mm. I stand true to in a lot of different areas and I'm going to apply it to this. I feel it. I feel a it good tattoo is never cheap. <laughs> and a cheap tattoo is never good. Right. <laughs> However, as it pertains to this kind of level of let's just kind of clear the let's maybe set some nomenclature so that we can understand okay 
So an affordable drum kit, in our opinion, starts at 729. That's a complete drum kit, everything all in one. Gotcha. Now that we've established that, yeah. what we're gonna focus on is we're gonna focus on shell packs. And let's just take, for example, in this case, let's just say a basic five-piece shell pack of let's let's do modern standards. So modern sizes, 10-inch, 12-inch rack toms, 14-inch snare, 16-inch floor tom, 22-inch kick. Gotcha. We're just going to say lacquer finish. Right. And we'll say that that is considered a player's grade kit. Okay. So what's good, that shell material? Get, so all maple, let's just say hardwood, so maple or birch. Gotcha. Under $1,000. Doesn't matter where it falls. Yeah. But under $1,000. Yeah. Now, that opens, up, that opens up to a lot of great points. So let's talk about basic shell packs that are in that price point. Thomas got stuff, Yamaha's got stuff, Dixon's got stuff, PDP, Pearl. Yeah. Everybody has something in this My day and Gretsch age. My Gretsch kit is that. Gretsch Catalinas. Yeah. Well, mine's a renown, which is even. Yeah, but yours weren't less than a thousand. Yeah, well. Remember the the four, they eleven. They're a fourteen ninety nine price point kit under normal circumstances. Oh, okay. Not, Pardon me. Not the Mart deal. <laughs> but which was twice as high. Thank you. Yeah, I'm well, just kidding. And we, and we then we subtracted twenty percent. Well, okay, but I forgot. But let's just say a good hardwood kit, yeah. solid hardwood kit with a decent finish, with good hardware that's on it, meaning lug casings, tension rods, hoops, tom mounts, things that are appropriate for the five-piece shell pack. Right. Let's just say a good entry-level player's kit. You're going to take it out on a gig. You're not going to care if some drunk Keeps falls into it, it yeah. throws up on it. Whatever. Right. Let's just say that that number is six ninety nine to a thousand. Okay. Let's say we move into the next grade would be a thousand to seventeen ninety nine, which now gets you into stuff from Mapex, which gets you into the nicer Thomas stuff. It starts moving you into that kind of entry pro level kit. Yeah, intermediate sort of thing. Intermediate, right. you know, like okay, I'm actually now going on tour. I need to spend a little bit more money. I need something that's going to be a lot more durable. Right. I've really got to up my game. Gotcha. And let's, and then from there, let's just say everything above, uh, we could take actually the $2,500 price point. Okay. Because that'll get you into some really nice sonar pieces. Yeah. Better level of Tama, better Pearl. You're now really starting to, you're getting into that kind of, over-the-counter master stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you're now getting into like live customs and those sorts of kits. Really good drums. Yeah, just really yeah. good quality. You're getting into all. You're getting into Sonar Vintage Series, so you're into a German kit now. Mm. Good stuff. And you're starting to to lean on that that precipice of SQ1. And actually, oddly enough, twenty four ninety nine gets you also close to getting a three piece kit from Q Drum. Yeah. You're right into their player's price point. Right. So let's just say from that point on, now you're really starting to deal with pro level. Right. So 700 to 1,000, up, and then from, say, 1,000 to right at that 12 to 1,500, then 15 on up, you start getting into that better pro level gear, $2,400 price point, so on and so forth. Right. Is that okay. fair? Fair enough, yeah. Okay. We are not upsellers at this store. Right. And that's a good thing. As a philosophy and as a salesman, I've never been one to upsell. I'm going to ask our clients and the people that are interested in gear, what's your goals? You know, what do you want to accomplish with this? Where are you sound-wise? 
Who are some of your influences? What are some of the colors you like? What kind of hardware? What kind of... We're going to dig deep because I really only want you to get the best possible gear no matter what. I never ask money. Yeah. We are top-down sellers. So if you said, here are the 10 features that I want about that drum kit, I'm going to go through my head and my inventory of my vendors. Who's got the best kit with those features? Gotcha. This is the absolute best kit. Ooh. That's a little bit pricey. Okay. In my head, I know I've got a couple more options. Mm -hmm. You're going to sacrifice a little bit in these areas of your 10 choices, but you can do this one that's a little bit less. Yep. And then... We'll, f we'll narrow it down. Now, what we've learned over the years is when people have this laundry list of features, yeah. they've been spending a lot of time researching expensive kits. Absolutely. Which, unfortunately, is usually out of their price point. Yeah. And that's okay. So, I believe a new drummer should get the absolute best kit that they can get okay. regardless the best shells they can buy buy the best canvas you can buy because in my opinion the shell pack is the canvas yeah from there hardware symbols accessories all that stuff can be changed out on yeah. a pretty regular basis right but buy spend all of your money get the absolute best drum shells you can buy that i would agree with that since you clarify it in that since we're going with the shells we're talking about that yes yeah. I agree with that because you're gonna have them longer they're gonna play better they're gonna sound better they're gonna just they're gonna be an inspiring instrument right right now it's not to say that everybody needs that level of shell pack sure sure but I do believe that if you put a young player behind a better sounding and looking drum kit right and shell play. pack they're gonna want to play it yeah. They're going to want to show it off to their friends. They're going to want to cherish it and love it. Yeah. My room was bombed out Bay Room. Bay Room. <laughs> except for the two feet surrounding my drum kit. <laughs> and my kit was always the cleanest thing in the room. I bet. <laughs> Me too. I did the exact same thing. So do I think, and let's just use the age of 12 to 16-year-old player needs a $7,000 shell pack? I don't think need is the operative term. Right, right. Agreed. If, if that same drummer, however, does have aspirations and has been playing for a while and is, and is at a point where, yeah, it's time to up the ante. You're doing the thing. Spend more money. Yeah. And not with me or with anybody, but just find what makes sense. Right. A student drummer, could they get away with a $300 drum kit? Absolutely. Sure. And we do it all the time. We help people with their affordable kit that they found in the middle of nowhere. We help make that drum set sound better. Yeah. Why? Because we can choose the right drum heads, teach them how to tune it. We can show them all these things. We get it cleaned up. It's going to sound better. Yeah. And that's going to get the job done for now. Yeah. I do think it's very appropriate for a less expensive shell pack or less expensive drum kit to be purchased for a young player where they're uncertain of the future of the player. Right, right. And maybe that's what I meant also by that statement earlier. Yeah. Was, you know, you just don't know how long, how far this is going to go. You don't. And you, you want to empty the coffers on a 
three-month deal. Exactly. <laughs> and the way we address that as a store is we try to get them into an electronic kit. Yeah. And primarily because, A, less racket. Yeah. But the most important thing is that kit is going to sound more like what they're used to hearing on the records. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And that'll keep them inspired longer. It'll keep it. And there's more sounds. There's more fun things yeah. to do on it. Exactly. You're not limited. And we all know, in order to get a good sound out of a, out of a drum set, you've got to know how to tune it. You've got to know how to choose the right heads. You have to know how to strike that drum effectively to coax that note and that sound out of that drum. Absolutely. A young player's not going to hear that. They're going to hear... That's not what a drum set sounds Ew. like. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> and they're done. Yeah, yeah. It's not inspiring. Right, right. So that's our take on it. Yeah, good take. Are we ready for question five? Or did we did we bring that to an end? Do or... I think no, I think I think that I think you answered that really well. I that mean, was fair. You, yeah, we, we covered you know a pretty variety of uh, kind of a variety of answers there. I mean, you're talking about yeah, we did. So when you were helping Zoe get through percussion and everything that she was doing for school, yeah, was she my oldest daughter, by the way? Yes, was she getting the best? Equipment to move her, in, in terms of within the context of what she was doing. Oh, you know she did. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know me well, so you know she did. At the time, I was endorsed by uh, Maryland Drum Company. I don't, do you yeah. remember that? I do. So, and so I had a talk with my rep at the time, who I got along with really great, and uh, told him, you know, hey, you know, my kid's getting into this. I kind of want to know, you know. Just, what can we do on a kit that I can have around for her? You know, he said, "Well, you know, we've got a kit we've been pushing around that's got a different finish on it that we've been wanting to show people. How about I send it to you and you just hang on to it and maybe show it off once in a while when people come to your house and just see if your kid wants to play." And so I said, "Yes, please, thank you," and we agreed on a price for shipping and um, he sent it. Wow. And it just showed up and it sat in the house for a few months. Long enough for um, for my daughter to, I mean, she, she learned how to play. She liked how to, she liked playing. But, you know, drum set was kind of daddy's thing, you mm -hmm. know. And so she wanted to go the more um, symphonic percussion route. And she became a really, really pretty darn good uh, marimba player, marimbist, as they call it. And uh, she got a full ride to uh, University of Oklahoma because of it. That's awesome. So, but the drum kit thing didn't last long, and so when it was like pretty clear that, yeah, she's not really into this. A few months later, I said, you know, Dave, you know, he's just not really into it. So, but you sent it back. It's great. Send it back. So, send it back it was great. They treated me so great. Had such a great relationship with them, and till the, uh, you know, things change. It's just the way it goes. Nothing bad. Just things change. So, mm -hmm. um, anyway, yeah, that's what happened in my case. But she did get fantastic mallets and... Oh my gosh. Well, for one thing, and that, yes. You know, she, got, <laughs> she got the finest things I could get her. Yeah. You know, because I believe probably more so than having, you know, you, like you said, you know, the best gear you can afford. And I agree with that in the context, in the context of what we were talking about. Mm -hmm. 
but I believe in in the, the tools that go in your hands. I believe that to be even more so, more true. Well, it's a contact point. Yeah, I think that's, Absolutely. you really have to have something that's really properly balanced, really properly made, and you know, all those kinds of, you know, engineered well. So in that case, yeah, I mean, she got the finest stuff I could get her, but also, uh, when you're a marimbist in a school, in a larger school, like, like she was, um, those, that school is endorsed by somebody, stick and mallet companies. In this case, it was Innovative Percussion out of oh, Nashville. Wow. Awesome. And so the room was pretty endless of implements that they had available. Uh, and her thing was she liked bass marimba the best. So there was always marching band and all that. And that was just, that was one thing. That was kind of just, you know, something she had to do. She didn't like it all that well. But she really enjoyed symphonic band and playing um, concert band and playing the bass marimba. So the bass marimba mallets were like, you know, they're like, well, they're a hundred bucks, you know, for the pair, you know, for the ones they had there. And so she got the, these big old things, you know, so it was pretty cool. Wow. So they were provided those to her, you know, so if you just were malicious and destroyed stuff, then you had to pay for it. But, you know, anyway, that was the answer to that long answer to that short question. No, no, no. It's, it's very valid. It, it's a great way to answer it because yeah. it's really contextual. Yeah. Do you make a good investment for the long term mm -hmm. or do you kind of just throw your money away? Right. And we believe that if you get better stuff, it's going to provide a better experience. Yeah. Yeah. I always try to tell my students, you know, especially the, you know, the first thing we're always talking about are sticks and, and possibly practice pad, but sticks definitely is the first thing we always talk about. And I always, there's three brands that, you know, I say, Go search them out. Can't go wrong. See what you, yeah, see what you start, start in the middle, which is a you know 5A, and uh, see start how it goes. Point. And I'm a firm believer that with that contact point, drumsticks, I think if not only do they affect the way you play the kit, but I think the, the, the way you sound on the kit. Yeah, yeah. The way the notes kind of make themselves present. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I absolutely think sticks are important. Yeah, absolutely. It's, and then we get into tuning. What kind of head you're using, oh, yeah. what tuning you're using on drums, then the stick, you know, that kind of has to correlate. You can't use a, oh yeah, you know, a seven A on a twenty ply snare head and expect to really, good results. Yeah, yes, yeah, it can work out. <laughs> so, that's, that that's not the ticket. Yeah, it's not gonna work out. Well, with uh, Davis Davis' suggestion from from Daddario, mm -hmm. you know, Evans, I'm gonna try the EC Rezo heads. I've never tried them. Yeah, I haven't either. That I mean, we, we what are we what are we doing? Rezo sevens. That's what. I mean, those are the Rezo sevens. That's different. Yeah, different, different. So the EC, animal. so much like the EC two heads that they make. Right, it's got the ink. Yep. Yeah. So it's supposed to be more of an EQ'd sound. Hmm. I'm curious, and I'm going to pair them, and and I'm going to have to be really careful because I've been using the UV ones lately, mm -hmm. with just G ones on the bottom. Right. Which just. Freaking sound amazing. Yeah, you like, like that. They just sound good. On that $600 shell pack by Sakai that I'm playing, that Road Anew. Yeah, that does. Dome, dome. Yeah, and that kit needs that. Every I single... tried it the opposite way. It didn't work out so well. Yeah, every person's <laughs> like, my God. I'm like, oh, no, 600 bucks. <laughs> Stupid. Yeah. But I'm going to have to be very careful when I go to try these because I've... 
I'm going to leave the G1s that are on there for the Rezo side on there when I put on the UV2s that are coming. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to play those for a couple weeks, and then I'm going to put the EC Rezo heads on. Okay. Because I will have had a chance to have kind of heard the drums in, in two different ways. Right, right. Um, you know, the UV1s are single-ply coated with their, their UV technology. Mm-hmm. UV2s are the two-ply. Right version of that so is it I, is it two sevens yeah okay cool two sevens with that silk screen and the new v baked process interesting so i'm 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 really curious to see how this same drum kit sounds with a little bit a little bit more oomph a little bit more body in that batter head yeah so just just a nice aside that's neat and leading us into our final question for the evening final question we need a timpani roll i mean we boom <laughs> that could have been other things but wow <laughs> so question five question five please <laughs> was and, it, and it's one that I I'm, I'm I think it's a great question great question easy answer for me should all drummers learn to play piano you first Oh, the, the resounding yes. Absolutely yes. Did I? No, I was a retard. I didn't either, and I regret it. Regret it. Wholeheartedly regret it. But I can't read music either, so there are a couple things I'm kind of in the, in the little down on the scale thing. No, you've done really good, though. I've been lucky. You've, you've, you've shined on. You've done good. <laughs> but no, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that I think if any drummer wants to do anything for their craft, learn piano. Yeah, anything is absolutely necessity. You'll understand more about the music you're, you know, music in general, which is the music you're playing, uh, invariably. So you'll just you'll have more of this more more to say, more context to offer when you're writing songs or thinking about music or discussing music with your mates. And you're still playing a percussion instrument. Playing a percussion instrument and still, you know, then then you know, who knows? By golly, you might even write a song. I give. Lots of credit to Akira Jimbo. Yeah, and if and I'm and it, it and again, I don't have a hundred percent of the accuracy on the story, but if memory serves, he was actually a prodigy concert pianist as a as a young person. Wow, that's right. I forgot that. And picked up drums as kind of a farce. That's a heck of a farce. No <laughs> joke. But, and I could be wrong, maybe there's somebody out there that has a more accurate story, or if, if by chance, Mr. Right. Jimbo, you're listening to this, if you'd like to comment, that would be fantastic. We have Google Translate. We'll there figure you. it out. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think there's, there's a lot to be said, because you have to pay attention to so many more things. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's just... I mean, in teaching, you know, I, 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 I just, I can't, I can't say enough how important I think that is. If only we could have, we should have, we would have. <laughs> well, could have, would have, should have. Well, but I think it, it, it goes back to the beginning of this, this particular episode. There is no real kind of collected sensibility on any one thing. Yeah. I'll tell you right now, when we go back to talking about to port or not to port a bass drum resonant head. Right. That sparks so much controversy. Oh, yeah. And it's But it's unfortunately for me very simple and very obvious what to do. Yeah. But it took me this long to get there. Right, right. But if somebody said 20 years ago, hey, how about you try this? Yeah. 
I would have probably been that much further. Right. It, I think it's also... And we sit on opposite, opposite sides of oh, that. Oh, yeah. But we don't argue. We're no. friends. Well, no, but I mean, but debate is good, and depending yeah. upon... And I think some drums need that, but yeah. n- not arbitrarily. I would, no, I wouldn't say you just wake up and do either. Like I've had cl- about it. I've had clients buy drum kits from me. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, could you put a hole in the bass drum head? No. <laughs> you haven't even played it in your room. Right, you don't even know. You have no idea what this kit sounds like in your space. The answer is no. Right, right. I will happily cut one if you think you need it. But play the damn drum kit as it is. The designers <laughs> told you exactly how they want it to sound. Yeah. If they wanted more holes in it, they would have put more holes in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I think that's a very f- fair statement. If you look at Yamaha Maple Customs, for example, the Maple Custom kick drums have eight vent holes. Yeah, that's right. On the outside, not in the center. Underneath the lug casings. Yeah. Like right underneath the tension rods. Yeah. Let that thing breathe a little, air it out a little, dry it out. Just a little. Just a little bit. So there's no need for a hole in the head. Yeah. They're letting true. all the air out that they wanted. Yeah. So. There's that. So with piano, absolutely, I think. Absolutely. Any, shit. Any, any musician should learn piano. I think so. Uh, if I had the time to dedicate to it, I would absolutely try. Yeah. But. We could see how far that's gotten me because I haven't even been able to sit down to learn how to read music. You're a busy man. Yeah, I would say if you play guitar, I think I think there's two, two the two. Um, oh, I don't know how to call it. I've been on the road too long, but I would say the two main instruments are piano and guitar. Mm-hmm. And I mean acoustic guitar. I don't mean electric guitar to start. You know, right. just learn how to play. If, if you're playing if you're playing acoustic guitar, that's a that's a, a world. You know, a way into that world of. of more expression musically. Um, if not, then you're playing. If you're playing piano, then that's that's a diff- slightly different take, but it still gets you into that understanding Absolutely. of the musical, more melodious uh, bits Ooh, of our world. Melodious, nicely I, done. I can't I can't speak English, but I can say melodious. So that was a good pull. Thanks, bro. I've been working on my googles. <laughs> Speaking of, I was trying to juggle. Mr. Jimbo, Akira Jugal Jimbo, uh-huh. and see if that uh, statement was correct. And I can't really, they don't really, uh, it says he started drumming at 18. Um, and doesn't say anything that he was... Um, Pianist? Yeah, I just, I can't yeah. remember. It would not surprise me. He's a bit of a, he's a bit of a genius that way. So, um, but yeah, it doesn't really say, they say and under instruments, it just says drums, so. No, well, there we go. But... So maybe maybe that statement was completely wrong and that rumor was yeah, that's all false. Okay. We can we can take the criticism and take the correction if needed. I'm happy to. Yeah. But he's a smart guy, an incredible drummer. Uh, so none of that can be taken away. Incre- and one of the early pioneers of hybrid kits. That's true. That's true. And his snare is wicked, isn't it? A little It's a six lugger, isn't it? Six lug thirteen by seven with wood hoops. Now let's talk about that for just a second. There's a drum out there. Mm-hmm. That's 12 lugs on the top and six on the bottom. Yeah. Snare drum. So then you've got a, if you've got a six lug snare side head, in our conversation about 10 lug and eight lug snare sides, or you know, snare heads. Is that gonna open up the drum that much more? I don't know, is that weird because you got the 12 on the top? I think it's a little crazy, but that's an, I was, I was gonna ask that, I meant to ask that question back when we were talking about that. 
without having seen the drum, mm-hmm. I think what they were going for is to release, and 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 this is absolutely based on hyperbole and speculation. Sure, got it. Batter side of a snare, much higher tension. Mm-hmm. So by adding more lug casings, you're able to fine tune that batter head a little bit more, but you're also dispersing the load mm-hmm. into, into that many more lug casings. Right. And I think by using six on the bottom, you're releasing the tension on the lower shell because you're not inhibiting it so much from all the, all the extra weight. Right. Is it really gonna do anything or is it really marketing? Uh, uh, we talk, I mean, uh, uh, am I wrong in saying, or is it, or just whatever, here's the question, is it, is it similar to that of the trick of putting, you know, a die cast hoop on the top? And leaving a triple flange on the bottom? A, yeah. A, you mean like the original Stuart Copeland? Yeah, the Stuart Copeland drum, right. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot. you're creating that more of a, that's different. a rigid Well. Top. In the case of diecast, though, if we're going to touch on this, to, to counter that and kind of reel it back, if you're using a triple flange tube with 12 lug casings, the question is, are they trying to achieve a diecast stiffness to that part of the shell? Mm, right, okay. Or are they doing it for some other reasons? Right, right. So then it begs the questions, okay, well, Where's their analytics? What did they do to test this theory as to why 12 was the magic number? Right. Okay. So we take all those things considered. A die cast hoop is automatically going to make that drum much more dry. Mm-hmm. It's going to give it a lot more attack. It's going to really stiffen that, that part well, of the drum. Well, I meant on a standard. Yeah. 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 Anytime you, use a, anytime you put a die cast hoop on, you're automatically stiffening that drum up. You're re- you're drying it out. You're going to reduce its vibratory characteristics. Right. You're just in hit. You're just clamping that shell down. Yeah. And as far as Stuart Copeland, I mean, that guy could freaking. We're not going to argue with Stuart. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but he, but legitimately, you've watched him electrical tape his hand. Oh yeah. Yeah. He is crushing that snare drum. He is hitting this. Even at his even now, I mean, he hits it like it owes him money. Right. He's pissed. Looks like he's pissed at it. Yeah. And it's only a five. Kaya. Yeah. Yeah. Now that the, the whole, I have an eight-inch metal snare drum, eight eight by fourteen metal snare drum with the the, the diecast top and the triple flan bottom, bottom really and. worked for that. It probably pulled it in a little bit. It pulled it in. It's, it's still got a nice tone. It's still got some resonance when it. It was probably unruly. Um, you know, it wasn't too bad. Originally, it, it originally wasn't too bad. I was shocked. What's the material? It's just steel. It's a super light, Ludwig super light. Okay. It's just. It just mean, does what it does. It does not not real, not much rocket science there, but um, it was it's it was right for a good for a recording I did. So I, I souped it up, and it's just sounds great. But that combination sounds really good on it. Yeah. Just reined in the overtones a bit, gave it some more attack, a little more punch that I wanted out of it. So it worked out pretty good. Well, good. Yeah. Yeah, there I said it. Well, Mark. Didn't mean to get off the topic there, but there you have it. We are not at the two-hour mark, though. Okay, We're let's go. not there, <laughs> and we're going to stop. All right. 
So that's going to wrap it up for our five questions. Thank you for having me today. Oh, my gosh. Thank nice. you for joining us sure. on Too Stupid to Know I Can't. Always, like it's always awesome. a pleasure. And, again, if, if you have questions out there that you want us to answer just in your various social medias, use the hashtag AskDrumShopTulsa. We'll, we'll search out your questions, and we'll try to get them answered on, on an upcoming podcast. And, you know, this first batch, we had a fair number of questions, but I knew, I knew it was going to easily just get loose. Oh, yeah. These are, these are very debatable. Most of these are very debatable questions, so that's awesome. And I, and I think that's what makes drums so much more fun. Heck, yeah. But I wish we could garner some level of consensus. Whew. With some real analytical data. Right. Like, let's... Pr I mean, the age-old question. Plastic wrap shell versus lacquer. Some say they can hear it. Some say only the computer can. Virgin kick drum, Tom-mounted kick drum. That's a little more audible, in my opinion. Of course, maybe that part of the show's over. <laughs> I'm going to ask... I will, I will end it with this question. All right. Am I supposed to answer it? Or I we could, we could throw this into the ether and maybe resolve it later. Okay. Does the audience give a crap? That's a pretty easy answer. I think everyone can just come to that on their own. Or. <laughs> but could we? Uh, uh, I have a strong opinion in one direction. We all do. Next That's... time. But yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's time to go. I gotta go do a design project. All right, I've gotta so go. I've gotta go see a man about a horse. Uh, I don't know what stable you're going to this <laughs> evening, and I don't think I want to know. But all right, brother. Man, thank you. Thank you again for joining us on our on, uh, on this episode. And thank you, man. We're gonna do this again real soon. So thanks to everybody out there, and we really appreciate your support. And you know, do the thing, share it, like it, give us some comments, give us some feedback, and hey. Funny thing, I was just looking at our iTunes rating. Of the reviews that we have, we are still ranked as a five-star podcast. Wow. Well, I would think that this would remain the same. Well, who knows? Who knew? I'm just curious. Go figure. Yeah, I just, I, I really want to, I want to know what more people think about our podcast. So if you're listening, please leave us a review. And if, if you think about giving us a five-star review, tell us why. Tell us what we did right. And if not, tell us what we did wrong. I'm really curious because I really just want this to be better for everybody and at least some modicum of steering clear of all the horse crap that's out there <laughs> and terrible information. Yeah, lots of that. But yeah, we got to go. All right, bye, y'all. Have a great night. Peace out. There's a light that shines off in the distance. We may never know of its name. Where wealth is not measured in substance And pleasure's not writhing in pain Your promises led me to ruin Your kiss foretold of my grave And I'll gladly embrace the destruction And drink the remains of the days <laughs>